Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. Every discovery call begins with apprehension, says Chris Beal, our Market Dominance Guys co-host, who's back behind the microphone after a two-month absence. Chris goes on to say that you need to be aware that starting a discovery call by interrogating your prospect only increases their apprehension. If you're going to have a meaningful, successful conversation, you need to use a kinder, gentler approach. Chris talks with his co-host, Corey Frank, about a couple of ways he knows to take a prospect from that feeling of apprehension and fear to a feeling of pride and openness. Then, and only then, will the atmosphere of the call be right for you to ease the conversation into one of mutual discovery, where you and your prospect can learn whether their company is a fit for your product. As the title of today's Market Dominance Guys podcast states, this can only happen once you've succeeded in calming your prospect's apprehension. Here we are. Welcome to another episode of the Market Dominance Guys with Corey Frank and With me, post-wedding, honeymoon, holiday, bliss, the sage of sales, the prophet of profit, the hawking of hawking, Chris Beal. So welcome welcome back from all points across the pond. Chris, good to have this marital glow about yourself here and good to have you back in the co-host seat where where you belong. Thanks, Corey. I've really missed this part of the professional world and we were having such a good time, Helen and I were in, well, Iceland and Copenhagen and Norway and by the Russian border and eating crabs that would have preferred to eat something else themselves. And You missed this part when you talked about that part. Yeah, I missed this part. This has been, we fell into this thing unintentionally sure, sure. <laughs> some years ago now, actually, yes. 2019. Yes. I've been watching them. You did a few while I was gone. Anyway, it's great to be back. And hopefully I'll bring something because God knows if I got anything left. Oh, well, listen, I think you got a 911 call from Susan, our producer, saying you must come back quickly. Corey cannot do these by himself at all. And he needs you in the in the seat. So when I thought we'd jump right into it, Chris, we're not gonna, this is no, no easy topics that we're going to venture into on your first episode back. We want to get into the meaty stuff. And one of the things that's been on our mind, certainly here at the Branch 49 team, working with some clients is the discovery call, right? Seen a lot of stuff. The esteemed and prolific writer, commenter, Jerry Hill of Connect and Sell fame, right? I've seen so many, many postings for him on this topic is you talk about the cold call. And we've done a number of episodes, right, Chris? And if we learned anything from you and your rantings and writings, it's that the natural state, the primordial state of a prospect when they receive a cold call is that of fear. I think we all know and all the listeners understand that. But when you set up a discovery, I set up a call for you as a prospect to meet with Jerry Hill next Tuesday at 10 a.m. And here it is, Tuesday at 9.58, and you are... thinking about this, should I make it, not make it, and you show up. If the state of a cold call is fear, what is the state, the insight into the prospect's mind on the discovery call, would you say? Apprehension. Apprehension. 
apprehension. It's like, what did I just do? Anxiety is a little bit too strong, Mm -hmm. but apprehension, after all, when you show up for a discovery call, you're pretty sure that you're really showing up to be sold to. And if we go back to the cold call, the number one purpose, the purpose of the cold call is to build trust. Mm -hmm. And as we've been instructed by people who are our betters, that trust will last forever as long as we don't blow it. And the best way to blow it is to sell to somebody. So now they're going to show up at this discovery call expecting not to participate in discovery, but to sort of be discovered, right? To be discovered at. They're going to have something done to them. And we don't like going into situations where somebody's going to do something to us. And it actually creates an opportunity to screw up the, whatever trust you managed to build in the cold call just by how you handle mm-hmm. the beginning of the, of a discovery call. So just like the cold call, you've got to know the purpose and you have to have an underlying belief that supports that purpose. And that underlying belief is in the potential value of this meeting you're offering for this human being you're speaking with in the case where you're never going to do business together. And those three conditions have to obtain inside of you in order to be able to sincerely execute on a trust-based cold call that starts with an ambush, that starts with the other party in a state of fear. So now here you are, you've gotten past that very difficult situation mm-hmm. and you're in a new situation and the strong temptation is to interrogate. And so the party, the other person shows up, we'll call them the prospect, but that's not really the right way to think about them in a state of apprehension that you're going to interrogate them in order to trick them into making a bad decision, a decision that's bad for them because you're the expert and they're not. And therefore you can lead them by the nose down to some bad decision and they have to resist, you got a bridle on the horse and now you're going to tug them or you're going to offer them a little carrot or you're going to say, if I could show you how this hay over here is three times as nutritious as this hay, you know, would it make you want to buy hay from me for the rest of your life? Whatever is going to happen to you. And it's happened to all of us. And so apprehension is that is that base state. And we've talked a little bit about this, that, you know, as professionals, we have an obligation First, to not faint at the sight of blood, right? If we're going to be surgeons, we can't faint at the sight of blood. But we have a bigger obligation now that we've controlled our own emotions sufficient to execute, which is we've got to get in there before we start making any changes. You know, heart surgery doesn't start with the heart. You've got to get in there. Now, maybe it's some modern technique where you thread something up their toe or something like that and jam it up an artery and go, but could be that like, we're going to cut down there and we're going to crack the chest open and there's going to be noise. And that's part of the job too. And it's a big part of the job. And in discovery, we have that job ahead of us. And just like when we go to the doctor, we're apprehensive. When that prospect comes to us in a discovery call, they're apprehensive that we're going to do them. Mm -hmm. So how do we screw that up? Between you and I, certainly you more on the ledger side than I, we've listened to hundreds of thousands of phone calls and recordings in our career. So what are some of those patterns that me as a rep that I'm going to screw it up right from the beginning? Yeah. Well, you start off making the assumption that the other person is ready to confess and you start asking questions in which if they're going to answer them honestly, they've got to trust you a lot more than they trust you already. And even worse, even more so, you don't treat their emotional state as the most important element of the conversation. 
In any conversation, the other person's emotional state, if you're a professional, their emotional state is your responsibility, not theirs. You're the one who put them in a position where in this case, they're apprehensive. You need to take them as best you can or help them go someplace that's more useful to both of you emotionally. And I think ignoring the emotions and starting right in on, so Corey, how big's your sales team? How many reps you got, right? How much calling do you do? What's your budget? I'm like, I, you go in for that stuff. And then, of course, somebody's going to ask open-ended questions. Those are open-ended. You know, yep, yep. how big's your calling team? I mean, it's open-ended. The answer could be zero, 300, or I don't really feel like telling you that quite yet. Mm-hmm. And it's, in fact, matter what they say, it's, I don't feel like telling you that. Not yet, anyway. That's- but they showed up for the call. They showed up for this. The premises are incongruent. I thought I was going to get X, and you, as the salesperson, are trying to feed me Y. Right. Right. I came out of curiosity. If it was a good cold call, it was only curiosity that got me here. So I'm curious. What am I curious about? Well, I'm not quite sure. I mean, that's what curiosity is about. If we knew the answer, we wouldn't be curious. Right. So I'm curious enough to show up and I'm hopeful that I might learn something that's of value to me. But I'm apprehensive and it's very hard for two emotions to be inside of a person working at the same time. In fact, that's the nature of emotions. Emotions are, they dominate one after another, after another. They don't coexist. We can't be apprehensive and excited at the, like, oh, or joyous at the same time. We can't do that. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at (laughs) connectandsell.com. And we're back with Corey and Chris. Emotions are funny like that, right? We can see two colors more or less at the same time, but we can't experience two emotions at the same time. So it's fascinating to me. So if we take, let's map it. Cold call starts with fear. Discovery call starts with apprehension. Cold call tries to get to curiosity. Discovery call can assume curiosity, but but cannot assume that the other person is ready to confess their deep problems, which is what would be a good thing if that confession Mm -hmm. were to start to happen. Mm -hmm. So how do we get the confessional to actually run, so to speak? And I think there's some simple ideas, actual techniques, very similar to, you know, people got fixated on the 27 seconds thing. It's like, oh, it's about the opener in 27 seconds. It's never been about the opener in 27 seconds. It's just a thing that one could say in order to handle the second part of somebody being afraid of us and Mm -hmm. getting to that next stage. And the next stage is emotional. And the cold call, we try to take somebody from from fear, they're they're afraid of us, to trust immediately. That's the shock. The shocking thing is we can go from fear to trust like that. More fear sets us up for more trust, so to speak, because there's more fear to believe. And there are ways to do that. In the discovery call, there are ways to do it also 
And they work on the same principle. The principle is emotional substitution. You as a professional are going to help this other person, help them substitute a more useful emotion. So it can't be idiosyncratic. It's got to be a fairly universal emotion. Well, here's the universal emotion, pride. It's totally antithetical to apprehension. It's almost the opposite of apprehension. When we're apprehensive, we pull back. And when we're proud, we come forward. And so the prospect is in a pulling back emotion when we start the conversation with them. So what can we do to get them to express pride? Well, there's a funny thing that people have as almost a universal source of pride, oddly enough, and it's where they live. And it's because they chose to live there. So one thing you can do, and I know people will fixate on this and go, oh, no, that's it's those words. Exactly. It's not those words. Exactly. But here's what I do. I just ask a simple question. First, I want to make it clear that I'm looking for for help. Like I'm not in charge here. I'm not running the show. I'm not making things happen to somebody else because they're apprehensive that I'm doing that. So I say, you know, Corey, it just helps me a lot to know where somebody is when I'm talking to them. I don't know, it's just a peculiarity of mine. Where are you right now on the face of our blue whirling planet? And the the reason I say blue whirling planet is actually to give us a sense of togetherness. There's a classic picture that was taken from the moon of earth that the earth is this blue marble hanging in space. And we all know it's spinning, except for certain people who think that it's like flat or something like that. And well, you know, but they still use GPS, you know, they still use GPS. Why not? Believe the earth is flat and use GPS. It's a miracle. But anyway, so so that gives us a sense of togetherness. But what I really want to do is then I've asked for help. It wasn't an interrogation question. It was a please help me question, because this is something I need in order to be able to have a good conversation with somebody. And I want this to be a good conversation. So I just asked that question. And then it's like, where are you? And, and, and it's very different from, so where do you live? For sure. It's very different. So where are you right now? Now, most of the time they're in their home. Some of the time they're on the road, that could be. But in any case, they're probably where they want to be, unless you're sort of having discovery calls with people in prison or something like that. And I think that's unusual. There's not a lot of sort of buy-side activity in the B2B world going on. Yeah, well, not, a big probably, tam, not a big TAM there. but uh, uh, so Sadly, there is a big TAM. But I, <laughs> anyway, let's leave that TAM alone. And, but, but what you get is an opportunity, a very low-cost opportunity for the other person to replace their apprehension with pride of place. And pride of place has a wonderful quality. And that is, it's not personal, but it is about the person. It's associated with the person, but you know, none of us actually created the city that we're living in or the place we're living in or created our neighborhood unless, you know, we're, we have like big real estate development chops or something like that. So most of us, you know, we have various feelings about where we live, but when we're talking to a stranger, the feeling that comes out is pride. And I'll let somebody talk out of a 30-minute meeting for 27 minutes about where they live. Right, right, right. So that's the key is to 
acknowledge, understand that their state is apprehension and making them feel at ease as much as possible. Because if I want the deep confessions, the ones that will drive my traditional discovery, my bant, if you will, to determine if they're part of a POC or there, is there any there there, I need to address that. And if I don't, what happens typically? If I don't, I get a very confusing conversation, which is oppositional. I ask questions and they try to avoid answering them. And they, they might answer them in a halfway kind of fashion. The answers to my questions are irrelevant. That is, I'm an expert at what I offer. They're the expert of their problem. Whatever their problem is, is deeply theirs. It's peculiar, to use my mother's favorite word, is peculiar to their situation. It's about things they know about that I don't know about. And until they're ready to share those other things that they know about that I don't know about, we actually can't explore in real, I'll call this real B2B. So say you're selling coffee beans or whatever. Maybe it's easier. I don't know. I don't, I've never sold stuff like that. I've sold complicated products like Fuller Brush, Spider Spray, you know how it goes, right? So, so we have to accept their world is deep and rich and not about us, right? It's deep, it has all sorts of things going on. There's all sorts of constraints, situations, there's timing, there's how are they already solving the problem that you would like to help them solve in a different way. All that stuff's at play. And if we just kind of skip this emotional transition to something else, and I like pride of place, and then I go from pride of place, by the way, my next question is to pride of mission, because then we're to the heart of it, because everything they're doing in their job has to do with the mission of their company. They don't think about it like that, but why do they keep that job instead of going to some other job? You don't talk to a lot of people who are basically iron shackles, got to work at company XYZ. They're making a daily choice, especially now. I mean, you know, now as, as uh, Helen Finucci's you know, new book coming out, Love Your Team says, you know, mm-hmm. your top talent can walk out the door without taking a single step. Yes. So that's, yeah, it's yeah. a different world now. You're dealing with somebody who's there because they want to be there. Yeah. So when, what's that attachment to mission? And there's a personal element. You don't make it personal. It's like, what do you do that's so great? But what I like to ask is the simple question, which is, so, I, and again, it's kind of like a help me out question. So I, I always try to understand somebody's business as best I can before talking with them, because, you know, it seems like a good thing to do. I go to the website and I read and I think, and then I always get it wrong. Always, 100% of the time. I like to ask this question, which is when everything goes right, when everything's fantastic, remember, we're trying to get to problems, right? So I don't want to go anywhere near the problems quite yet because the problems are live wires. You know, any, you could get hurt down there, right? Sure. So I want to stay in a safe zone for the moment, which is to remind somebody, why do we all do what we do? Deming said we work for pride of workmanship. Who do we work with and where do we work? We work to do good. I mean, that's kind of it. If we thought it was bad, we probably wouldn't do it. If it was evil, you know, maybe some people are like that. And we, we sometimes run into them. But in general, most people kind of are in tune with what their company does. They think it's a good thing. So I just ask when everything goes right, when everything goes right, when the customer is the right customer and the solution is the right solution, the budget is there, 
the timing is right. Uh, all of this support people on, and people on both sides do the right things. Everything clicks. How does your company or your product change your customer's life? And I'm really specific. It's change your customer's life, that other person's life. It's not that it make a buck, that it add shareholder value, that it blah, 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 blah. It's about somebody's life. Mm-hmm. And there's a little reminder there that never had somebody fail to answer that question mm-hmm. ever. They always answered. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's almost like, huh? Wow. Yeah. We do something cool here. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.